Any friend of the Apex body of knowledge will be familiar with the extended enterprise. Apex discusses the supply chain maturity or evolution model, going from stage one, multiple dysfunction, to stage four, extended enterprise. The main emphasis is organizations need to work beyond their operational boundaries by sharing and collaborating with trading partners. The stage four extended enterprise is just that, when at least one business process goes beyond the boundary of the individual corporation. As I did more research into the history of the supply chain evolution concept, I ran across an article, Strategic Control in the Extended Enterprise, from January 1993, written by Dr. Ben Kinsinski. What I can gather, this is one of, if not the very first reference to the extended enterprise. It all sounds pretty boring. So let's see if Dr. Kinsinski can prove me wrong. This brings me to today at Emory University, where I'm sitting with Dr. Ben Kinsinski to get his insight on extended enterprises, along with other things. Dr. Ben Kinsinski has been a professor at Emory for over 25 years, following a stint as faculty at Harvard Business School, where he taught in the MBA program and for several executive programs. Prior to arriving at HBS, he was a professor at the University of Arizona, where he was a co-founder of the university's multi-million dollar group decision support laboratory. He holds a PhD in computer science from Purdue University. Dr. Ben, thank you for speaking with me. I expect you could talk for hours about many things, but let's uh, start with the article I referenced earlier, Strategic Control in the Extended Enterprise. I know it was written a long time ago, but you know, why did you write the article to begin with? Thank you for asking. The, the article was uh, reflecting a, um, uh, my work, I've done a lot of work in interorganizational systems, how systems across organizational boundaries transform practice, which was one of the main reasons why I went to Harvard, that uh, I, <clears throat> I was doing work on interorganizational systems and I could see no better forum or venue to look at that than, uh, than at, at Harvard. My background from a technology standpoint, looking at systems that stretch across organizational boundaries, leads us to question and challenge how the uh, intra-organizational view of uh, the enterprise uh, operates. And I find that I could test CIOs and IT leaders in part by getting them to understand what the scope of their enterprise systems are and to find that they, uh, the ones that are uh, rich had an, a view of an extended enterprise that look at systems beyond the organizational boundaries. I knew if they only talked about the assets they owned that they had a very shallow discussion of what, what the enterprise is or could be. And so it was clear to me that those that thought as an extended enterprise would look at not only the assets they own, but the assets they control and influence and the assets external that influence them. And so it's a part of looking at the individual enterprise reaching out into the market and its interface and, and the uh, ecosystem of technology that they leverage, but also then it's the bridge over to my interorganizational systems work to look at how the, the uh, systems across organizational boundaries uh, change things. Where does my company end and your company begin, for example? When I start linking into your inventory systems to 
make judgments and uh, and uh, influence and create orders. Uh, that <clears throat> it's difficult to say where where my company ends and yours begins. When I have um, a visibility that is in itself in itself a uh, influence across the organizations. Yeah, it's interesting that so the article was over what twenty six years ago or so, and uh, that's really, I mean, computers were around then, but it, it was still early days of computing. So you were kind of you're a big visionary back then. Well, uh, I began working on interorganizational systems in the in the eighties. So in uh, the mid-80s, there's a Harvard Business Review article that I did on um, IS redrawing organizational boundaries and uh, other articles in the academic stream looking at systems across organizations. So the, the computer systems and um, information sharing and commitments and uh, uh, certainly make those bridges more than just systems. Uh, I've always... Uh, been involved with the EDI, the Electronic Data Interchange System, since the those elements began with the TCC standards on um, uh, in the uh, transportation arena, looking at at uh, our standards that we use for uh, electronic data interchange. And it always occurred to me that there's a lot more than electronic data interchange. There's going on here it's exchanging commitments and mm -hmm. and uh, trust basis and uh, the business element was being neglected with the perception of a procedural element on it uh, it's not just systems it's commitments and contracts agreements and that's why when you bring it forward into today uh, why areas are important to me as uh, smart contracting and looking at supply chains that have uh, extraordinarily smart elements and uh, uh, completion of obligations within the supply chain itself without human intervention. Yeah, it's interesting. You're, you're hitting on all the key words. I mean, from an apex body of knowledge, Ben, I mean, that EDI is, is, a, is a core concept. That's what, we, what they teach. Um, and the key thing for effective collaboration even today is trust. And that's what you said. I know it, it, a lot of it depends on the ability to, to communicate data electronically. But if organizations don't have the trust in the partnerships, it doesn't work well. Right. And, and I, again, I sort of lived through that whole evolution with the TDCC standards coming into the X12 X12 structures. I was on the board of one of the pioneers in the um, in the service and provisioning in that arena called Harbinger here that was based here in Atlanta, and we were the first ones to look at uh, EDI over the internet. Uh, another company in California named Preminos was also doing that, and we actually merged. We or we acquired Preminos into uh, Harbinger and started the leading on the uh, domain of EDI over internetworking arenas, not just through the van uh, services as a part of it. So looking at different pathways, because you have to have a high reliability, a high confidence in that messaging exchange. It's a part of the basis of trust. And so many things advance today on uh, elements of a basis of trust in creating it. And hence our cryptocurrencies, our distributed ledger technologies, 
all the uh, blockchain elements are mm -hmm. all a part of um, technologies that support uh, the the business function of uh, trust. So we're referring to uh, an article from about 26 years ago, but from my understanding, Ben, you, you've been doing computing for, what, 50 years? 50, <laughs> 52 years ago, I started in computing in uh, Explorer Scouts when I was in high school and um, uh, never, uh, never left that domain. So I've been working with computers from uh, those as big as... Uh, as these major these rooms we're in and um, to uh, those that are smaller than hopefully insertable I expected to be inserted into uh, brains sure yeah I remember I told you the story of when I was in college I, I thought it was a big disruption when I had to actually go to a computer center and type into a dummy dummy computer and then get a printout and then you were telling me about the cards even before then yeah you know, it was fortunate uh, we had the um, Standard Oil of Indiana. I was in Hammond, Gary, Indiana area, grew up there, <clears throat> and the uh, Standard Oil of Indiana supported the Explorer Scouts by allowing them access to these extraordinarily expensive $90,000, $100,000 a month computers. And uh, it was fantastic. It certainly set us on a seed towards um, looking at, at uh, building systems and um, uh, planning uh, planning systems. So today, I mean, it's it's popular for, for the younger generation, Ben, to be in, interested in computing. Obviously, schools are preaching STEM. You have you see Google, Amazon, Microsoft in the news all the time. So it's almost a, a popularity thing to be in computing. But, you know, back then it wasn't so popular. How did you get involved in, in computing? Well, that work from the... Uh, uh, from the Explorer Scouts was uh, sort of set me on a on a path to looking at uh, technologies changing what's possible, and so my quests have always been looking at transforming what is possible. That be bled uh, certainly it could have led into strictly on the science side, and my computer science background, but I've always been in the bridge of commerce and um, and practice. So whether it's been through the university positions where I've always been in, anchored in the business school, but complementary or cross association with the computer science programs, as well as working in practice. I've always had the bridge over to practice, and that's why my interest in consulting has spent a lot of time with AT&T, with IBM, with uh, UPS, and, and others through the years that um, have offered venues to educate me as well. Yeah, you mentioned commerce, and that's where really IT computing ties into supply chain. Supply chain is basically, if it wasn't for people buying things, you wouldn't need a supply chain. That's what I tell people all the time. Well, so, it, it's been about um, uh, focuses on the movement of assets, mm -hmm. but um, a lot of the skills in supply chain is, is planning not to move assets, and, <clears throat> and uh, certainly your uh, financial benefits. Every one of our systems is about two things. It's about asset management and event management. And supply chains are no exception to that. In fact, they are an obvious uh, element in it. Uh, we move things to uh, make them still in a uh, distribution center. Uh, we move things to 
that that should not necessarily be moved or don't have to be moved. We get into drop ship or direct ship activities that change some of the nature of our historic distribution. And so the supply chain being smart has great effect on the economics of, of operations. And uh, we can make them smarter. We can make them smarter and find new ways of of uh, assessing arrangements that allow us to move bits so we don't have to move atoms. Yeah, it's interesting your perspective. You say supply chain is asset management and event management. That actually makes a lot of sense. I, I tell people I'm a, I just help move boxes more efficiently. Pretty pretty much that's what my role is in the supply chain. But from an event management standpoint, that's especially true today. People want to see what's happening, You know, maybe what didn't happen, so they get a chance to maybe react or proactively plan around specific events. And certainly um, for supply chains, visibility has been a, a critical element. But visibility should lead to other forms of arrangements that, that allow you to share assets, move assets, inventory might better be served in motion than at rest, and other things like that that allow us to rethink the um, uh, association of moving, moving atoms. Sure. So you've uh, you were around kind of in the, the whole evolution of computing. I mean, you've probably seen it all from the Bill Gates, the Microsoft, the Apples, everything starting up. From the business application side, I've also um, been involved significantly since not the first stage, but the second stage of the building of the Internet. And I, I worked on gateway systems between the local area networks and the imps, the Internet message processors. So I've watch that evolution as well. And certainly in the 70s and, and early 80s, the only folks that were operating on the Internet were the military and researchers and uh, academics. And in the late 80s, you saw the library folks come on with uh, <clears throat> and documents with systems called gopher space that were about movement of files and so forth. But Tim uh, Berners-Lee and the introduction of the World Wide Web made it much uh, democratized accessibility and democratized sharing. So for the most part, it was document uh, sharing assets and messaging. Uh, We were doing messaging all over the world in the the late 70s and early 80s from an academic standpoint. We were electronically integrated in those areas. So I watched that evolution. Uh, 1995 to me is a pivot, uh, a strong pivot point, because uh, the year began. <clears throat> you have the World Wide Web coming out in '91, and uh, I have uh, even screen captures and, and videos of things we did here at at Emory in 1993. But '95 uh, was to me the year that business caught on to the internet that uh, at, at the beginning of the year, uh, Microsoft and Bill, Bill Gates put out a book called The Road Ahead, and he had one chapter, I think it was chapter number seven, that was about business and computing, and uh, it was mentioned in there that business computing could, could uh, have a strong impact. By the end of that year, they completely rewrote the book, Microsoft Bet, Bet the Farm on Internet Explorer and the Internet, and um, uh, others transformed. The, the Netscape IPO happened in August that, <clears throat> that 
literally uh, was your first I, uh, IPO of an, of an internet company that set things off. I did some work with a, a small, uh, a, a company in the uh, mid-1995 uh, and the uh, an SOB, a uh, student of Ben, one of my students was a uh, number three. He was actually the number one employee after the founders at a company and, and had uh, issues with um, how to monetize. They, uh, they had uh, support and sugar daddies were running and uh, running out of money and patience on there. So they were going to lose it. They had to find ways to monetize their services and they were very popular. And uh, when we called around to look at how the information services might be sold, they, um, uh, the, the marketing people said, no way, I'm going to do advertising on this thing called the Internet. It's no, we're not going to spend money on that, that, uh, that thing. And you could do data services. So the, the, the company had some um, uh, runway for six or seven months. And I... Um, at the end, he wanted to pay me, and I said, no, don't worry, I don't charge SOBs, uh, students of Ben. And uh, what I should have said is, you guys are going down the tube, you should give me a big pile of that equity, you, uh, uh, that garbage you call equity, and <clears throat> as it's not going to be worth anything. Well, it turned out about seven months later, this was Yahoo, Yahoo IPO. Yahoo? Yes. And uh, yeah. had, I, had I thought differently and uh, echoed then, you, you would be talking on my island right now rather than uh, on the in, phone. in my yeah. uh, office here. Wow, that's great. Well, so I didn't know, was Atlanta uh, big into the Internet space? I know Hayes Computing. Was here, and then Earthlink started here, and I don't know if those. Oh yeah, the certainly there are many, and, and one of the things I was pleased in coming here in um, 1993, that uh, that or 92 actually, uh, the activity, especially around communications. I had done a lot of work in media and communications, and I'd done a lot of work with uh, AT and T, and so from a communication standpoint. Uh, that uh, Atlanta was uh, a hub. Post-production in video was uh, huge here. Uh, Dennis uh, Hayes and others that had a strong impact uh, and um, on um, uh, certainly on, on controlling messaging in routing systems and communications. So there, there were a lot of seeds of really interesting stuff going on here at the time. So at first, I was a bit apprehensive in the environment. I expected I would be leveraging my West Coast, East Coast um, connections, um, uh, relying on those. But actually, there's, it's a great sandbox here. Yeah. It's a, as I said, it's, I just see the news, and I know of all the history of what's going on around Atlanta. A lot of great minds, including yourself. So... What have you been uh, working on lately? I mean, since uh, since the in invention of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, actually, ironically, right now I'm I'm involved with uh, Vince Cerf, who is as credited with uh, mo most often the singular person credited with the uh, uh, invention of the internet because he led the TCP/IP standards that that and protocols that we still use uh, use today and uh, uh, in, involved with him in looking at people-centered internet and trying to uh, invert and 
uh, transform the internet evolution uh, into an element that serves those uh, serves people more than it has been in its recent trends uh, in there as well. But I'm I am most interested in the nexus of and convergence of technologies. So I deal a lot with uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, virtual worlds, full immersion technologies. I deal a lot with with uh, AI in terms of cognitive computing and <clears throat> that merges not only machine learning and, and deep learning, which uh, unfortunately to me, uh, so many people associate singularly with AI, but I think it's a very limited scope on it. But looking at high dimensional math, math models that offer uh, not black boxes, but transparent boxes. and um, that that give you uh, managing complexity and semantic uh, models, uh, ontologies where you bring knowledge of domains into it. And uh, I uh, participate with a company called Intera Solutions that is Princeton and, and uh, Newtown, Pennsylvania based that that is truly a cognitive computing that mixes all those elements together and uh, in looking at, at uh, approaching cognitive approaches to bringing um, elements of structured and unstructured analysis into enterprises and extended enterprises. And are you on the board of, of still some large corporations? Or? Well, I'm on, on the board of a public company called Tesco uh, Technologies with Wireless Equipment Arena, and I've spent a lot of time in in wireless uh, uh, evolution. I was on, I mentioned Harbinger. Um, and um, after Harbinger was sold, a group got together uh, here in Atlanta, uh, created New Bridges. And New Bridges uh, worked on a lot of those, uh, the, the very similar elements on data synchronization across organizations. And, um, and that was uh, acquired by Liaison Technologies, which uh, grew out of the forest products domain. And the, the thing I'm proud of is also that the CIO, CFO, and CTO of Liaison were SOBs. SOBs. I'm very proud of my uh, student, the students of Ben that are influencing a lot of things in the, in the markets. So you've mentioned that a couple of times. What, what is a, an SOB? Well, some years ago after I arrived uh, here and dealt with my Harvard alumni connects, many of them here and others, and the uh, Emory uh, alumni were, were starting to come out as well, that uh, I, I wanted um, a means of mingling those together that uh, uh, created a community of folks that were actually uh, students of Ben's that had been involved, but I also uh, offer the label to anybody who's been for one of my, uh, any teaching program or uh, our group program as well. So I, I am uh, interested in uh, supporting any of those folks that are uh, uh, absolutely interested in interesting things. <laughs> well, I guess you're, you're in a unique position to be able to influence a lot of people's lives, both professionally as well, probably maybe personally. So that's a, that's an interesting space to be. And it sounds like you like to maintain those relationships. I know I follow you on Twitter 
And what's your what's your handle? Sob World is that? Yeah, Sob World. I set up to to mainly deal with uh, communications of of uh, new technology news items of interest to my current uh, current students or recent alumni, and uh, so it's mainly a channel to uh, that you don't get in something like Facebook or LinkedIn. The, that are fairly diffuse. This would be sort of a one-stop shot for uh, things that I, I curate myself and that I think are of interest that anyone curious about technology transforming commerce or society. So are you a continuous learner? You, you still... Uh, for, like to... Forever. My, the first thing I'll say in class is the last thing I'll say in class, and that is never grow up. And uh, I feel that all too often there are too many of our elements of education and training and, and pressures in, in corporation and life that try to get people to grow up. And I've seen a lot of uh, old young people. And um, instead, uh, they should be, uh, I, uh, be young and even through being old. So, Ben, are you still t actively teaching? At, at Emory or oh yes of course I just finished a class actually uh, two weeks ago at, here even in the summertime and I had four classes this uh, this last spring privacy in the digital age joint with the law school uh, so the the, uh, the in, entire class <clears throat> were second and third year law students as well as um, business school students BBA, MBA, and also JD MBAs, also that um, look at privacy issues in the digital age. I teach jointly with a colleague who's a, a scholar in the Fourth Amendment, and so he and I uh, work together on on that class to look at those issues because privacy mechanisms in the U.S. are based. Uh, anchored on the Fourth Amendment rights. Okay. So somebody could actually, if they wanted to be an SOB, could they take a one-off class at oh, Emory? Yeah, or, absolutely. Or, so they could check out the website and sign up. Yeah, I have a class in the fall called Appcology that deals with the ecology of apps and uh, IoT, IOE, machine-to-machine. -machine. Uh, they design chatbots. They'll, um, they'll work on... Um, machine learning and deep learning it's very much hands-on I uh, tell them they leave with a portfolio not a certificate and and uh, one of the things I I know and, and certainly that I tell uh, my students is that that uh, how you think is more important than what you know and especially in the domain of technology where the what you know is ephemeral and changes quite radically over time. How you think is the is what you preserve across um, across fifty years of um, uh, of volatility. And since we keep giving lip service to that change, but especially if you want a horizon, most frequently the focus tends to be on very short horizons, two year, five year horizons. I make them do. 20-year horizons and because I think how you stretch out is a very important element in there 
and uh, and getting a running start. CEOs and I test with them. The people that say, "Here's where we are. Here's where are we going," are very poor predictors of the future. And the one you get a running start on it. So I'm interested in what I call yesterday's tomorrows, what people of yesterday thought tomorrow would be like, and where they blew it, where they uh, how they overshot or how they undershot. And how do we create a mechanism that allows us to narrow that prediction? And I've been involved with that through the years, from even the Apple Knowledge Navigator, if you look at that from 1988, as prediction of, I believe we ping, pin the history as uh, September 16th, 2011. That was uh, that we made in... in uh, uh, at that time, and I, w I did not make it. It was a marketing group, but I was working with the Apple ATG, the Advanced Technology Group, and we were critiquing the, uh, the prediction of the future. I thought it was actually, it holds out very well uh, as a predictor. Well, it sounds like you almost don't have time to teach, Ben, <laughs> with everything that's going on. I blend in what I'm doing with what I'm teaching, and and uh, so I, I think it helps people get a running start on their own future. And and back to what you're working on today, you mentioned bots. Or do you do anything in the drone space? Uh, yes, actually, I uh, <clears throat> I'm very interested in drones. Uh, I'm I'm interested in drones and have been for. Uh, some time now, in part because of uh, the issue of autonomy. And so whether it's a terrestrial ve vehicle and driverless cars or whether it's into the drone technology, I'm, uh, I have segments of my class that are called letting go and uh, uh, how we decide and when we give authority to let go of a decision right or control that we have. I ask them... Uh, what year it's going to be when you open an, an, a door for your Uber and there's no driver there, uh, you, you're shocked now. At what point when you open the door and you see a person there, you say, oh, darn. No, it's disappointing, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you get more concerned. I also ask them, who do you want landing the plane, the pilot or the avionics system? And almost universally, they'll say they want the pilot landing. Yet they they know statistically that ninety plus percent of all landing accidents are uh, have pilot error as an element mm -hmm. in it. And we don't uh, we didn't let the pilots land the space shuttle. They're flying it as well. Good but point. but we have to decide when we let go of those things, and we're. We're testing those waters now with the terrestrial, um, the car, automobiles, and, and trucks as well. Trucking, we have a huge problem in the U.S. Uh, growing where we're going to have to move to autonomous vehicles. So I have mm -hmm. a, a segment of my, my classes on um, the, uh, the road to autonomy and how we move into a spot where we are willing to let go of a right and authority. Uh, we, we suffer a system now that kills 37,000 of our citizens every year in, an, uh, in the automobile. And uh, yes, we'll celebrate it's down from the 40s, but uh, it's still untenable that we uh, tolerate that. 
as uh, uh, we would not design a system from scratch and say, well, we're going to lose 37,000 people every year. Uh, and, and yet we do. And so we have to do uh, something down the road. And <clears throat> I'm in, engaged with some of the drone delivery of medicine in, in uh, certainly looking in Rwanda and others mm -hmm. where you have know, fixed wing aircraft that... <clears throat> That can a zip line and others yeah. that that uh, deliver goods, and uh, looking at maternal mortality issues in Kenya, where uh, using with working with Google Loon, in looking at provisioning Wi-Fi accessibility, because you have women that actually will walk four or five hours to go give birth because they they don't have. Uh, medical care in proximity and uh, putting lives at risk, their, their lives at risk and their child's at risk. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting that what you talked about, the uh, Rwanda, that, that I showed that video in one of our APEX classes about, I think the company's called Zipline. It's a fixed aircraft and how it, how it works and delivers. Yeah, and UPS has been a strong partner with, uh, with Zipline in Rwanda and in their supply line, supply setup to uh, uh, deliver, and has been a very good partner with them. Sure. That. Yeah, I saw UPS recently did a medical delivery in North Carolina. I think it was last year, or there was, I saw that on the news as well. So you stay active. You, you're, you're pretty involved in the community as well. I, I think I see you involved with different associations locally. Um, I'm looking over your shoulder, and I see the, the TEDx Emory. Uh, yeah. what, what, is that? what is that all about? Uh, well, certainly uh, the, the TEDx programs are are uh, prevalent around the country. We, uh, we at Emory are very fortunate in that we have one of the very few large seat licenses. They're usually licensed by seating capacity. And uh, we have the largest license in the Southeast that <clears throat> allows our, and it's student run. I'm a faculty advisor for it, one of the two faculty advisors for that group. And uh, we run our program every February. And I encourage people to go to uh, TEDxEmory.org and take a look at some of our speakers. Uh, we're in our eighth year uh, in, in doing this and um, have amazing, amazing folks that, that share ideas. And so it's a TED program in the, uh, in the TEDx distributed spirit. And you're doing other things around around town. I see EEVM. What is? Yeah, Emory's has a, a, a venture group that is Emory wide. It's not just business school, that that holds act holds the largest uh, hackathon in in the uh, Atlanta area as well. Uh, in, that Hack ATL, that that is a we've had as 450 folks registered in and, and do a weekend hackathon where we'll start on Friday and end on Sunday and have presentations and contests and, and so forth. I'm involved with um, ETH, uh, ETH ATL, which is Ethereum um, in the crypto uh, side, uh, an Ethereum hackathon related to smart contracting. And that's a September, October event uh, that, that we use. And, and uh, certainly those hackathons are exercises in getting people to not only think about things but build things and I, i'm always in 
encouraged by doing that. I always hold my, uh, uh, I have in my classes a uh, end of my, ex even with the execs, I have a session called Hold My Beer that uh, where they get to demonstrate <clears throat> some of the projects they've done with Arduino, Raspberry Pis, or our ch building chatbots and, and other things like that. I want them to do something, not just talk about it. Interesting. Yeah, so we, in the supply chain space, we have a, you made me think about the beer game. It talks about the bowling yeah. effect. And, and to be politically correct, I think they had to change it to the lemonade game. But oh. that's what made me think about your whole well, Even when I was at Harvard, I, I helped bring the beer game over, oh, uh, over uh, in the operations group. Sure. Uh, in the... Uh, Good heavens, that would be in the in the late eighties. Yeah, it's very it's a good hands on experiential exercise of Absolutely. the of the bullwhip, you know, which is kind of mm -hmm. what, what Apex teaches against. And that brings us back to the that's why companies need extended enterprises to be able to communicate and 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 not not depend on forecasts, but actually depend on end customer demand. That's the whole the whole concept. I I think the um it comes back to the, the critical principle of looking at from the enterprise standpoint. Is their horizon beyond what they own and looking and uh, the assets and systems that they interact with? Most companies that had started on development with a development focus and skills around development are moved into integration. So our staffing is more less about development than it is about integration. It's less about capex than it is about opex, and so more and more you have to uh, by necessity. Um, look at an uh, ecosystem that extends beyond your enterprise and therefore also involves integration with market facilitators or business partners. This is fantastic. I could listen to this all day. So as we wrap down, Ben, um, I appreciate you investing the time with us. Just one thing I always try to give listeners is, is anybody that's maybe entering college or even possibly looking at a career change, any advice uh, maybe from a from a professorial standpoint? We, we live in a, a remix era. The skills uh, that folks have need going forward, and I think mo most millennials and Gen Z are uh, attuned to this, probably better attuned than the Gen X and uh, boomers are, to uh, building a portfolio of skills. Uh, YOLO to uh, them means um, you only live once. Uh, to me, it means your life is over. But uh, <laughs> to those groups in, this, in the remix era, the aspiration should be achieving the portfolio of experiences, just as they do in the social life, and a focus on um, collection of experiences rather than assets. The same thing is true on skills. The most, uh, most of them know that the job they're going to have five to ten years from now doesn't exist, and they're going to, and they have an opportunity to shape it or make it, and therefore they need to build a portfolio of skills that they can use to assemble and create that. And uh, the old ideas of, of firm career paths and structured career skill sets is is gone as far as i'm concerned that um, if i was a uh, youth right now i i want to bring the broad mix if i i, I want to learn I, I teach a course called uh, think.code.make 
and it's for the undergraduates, and many of them are noobs. So it's a course for noobs to nerds. And uh, yet at, at the same time, it's about thinking. You, you learn to code to think, not to be a coder. They're not going to be coders, but they learn to code to think. And I really want folks to get into making and the making experience. So they also make things uh, as well in doing that. And you see this pattern of um, people with uh, music backgrounds, for example, have a, uh, are uh, well-trained. And I encourage anybody to ha have a, a liberal arts and um, <clears throat> a background as well. You're designing chatbots. I don't need more tech people. I need more liberal arts people. I'm designing a conversation, not designing a program. And, um, and so in many of our systems, that it takes a mix of skills. And the, many of the young folks that I see winning are those that are bringing uh, a extraordinary and unique mix of skills together to do something that wouldn't be done otherwise. Sure. That's an interesting concept. I, I've often heard, and it's probably more prevalent today, that the only constant is change. And uh, do you think it's, I mean, I haven't been in a freshman class or for a long time, but is it, will computing become like just part of, part of a core requirement, you know, like economics or accounting? Uh, we work with uh, high schools and middle schools, and uh, I think they're, they're um, working very hard on that. The course that I'm ta talking about called think.code.make, I hope five years from now doesn't need to exist. Mm -hmm because the uh, students will be coming in with that. Yeah. So the, the or, or at least it'll stretch itself into um, more, more uh, nerdy than newbie. Sure. And whereas right now it's probably more noob than nerd. Well, thanks again, Ben. Is there anything that uh, you want to wrap up with? Any ideas you want to share before we conclude? No, I, I think uh, to me, the 21st century is about reallocating decision rights and authorities. Uh, if I want to take a macro, macro, macro trend, it is um, this century is about reallocating decision rights and authorities. And that is to um, individuals and corporations stop trying to fix the 20th century and start working on building the 21st century. And the thing that I picked up on, uh, Ben, from you was how you think is more important than, than what you know. I, I think that's a, yes, good theme, a good theme for our discussion. Well, thanks again, Ben. Referencing back to the Apex body of knowledge, the stages of supply chain integration or maturity follow four stages. Stage one, baseline, multiple dysfunction or reactive. Stage two, functional integration, semi-functional enterprise or reactive efficient. Stage three, internal integration integrated enterprise or proactive efficient and stage four external integration extended enterprise or strategic driver if you're interested in learning more about this model and how you can improve your supply chain consider getting an apex supply chain certification for yourself or for your team and remember supply chain is boring